Welcome to the Rural SLP Summit. We have Teresa Richard today. She is a board certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders. Teresa is the host of the extremely popular Swallow Your Pride podcast that has debuted at 11 on the iTunes Science and Medicine chart and is the author of the book, So You Are Having Trouble Swallowing, which is an Amazon and Barnes and Noble bestseller. She is the founder and CEO of the Med SLP Collective and the Med SLP Education, providing mentorship and continuing education opportunities for SLPs that work in the medical setting. As an SLP and a mother to a son with special needs, she refuses to rest until access to best practice in dysphagia is readily available and achieved by all. Welcome, Teresa. Thank you. Thank you, Jocelyn. I'm so glad to have you here. Uh, so I, I've started listening to your podcast. That's how I was introduced to you, um, probably about the time that it started. Um, you titled it Swallow Your Pride. Tell me a little bit about where you came up with that name and when you've had to swallow your pride in your career. Oh gosh, when, when have we not, right? <laughs> but I, I honestly, I started it sort of around the same time that I realized that like everything I thought I knew about swallowing, swallowing disorders at the time I was working in a skilled nursing facility, everything that I thought I knew, I didn't know anything really. And so it's sort of, I started the podcast selfishly because I wanted to learn more. And I figured I am calling and reaching out to all these smart people. Like we might as well just record them and air the conversations. And that's literally what it was. And I was like, you guys, what if we just, I don't know, called it swallow your pride because there's so much that we can learn from each other. And there's just so much that we truly don't know unless we're having these conversations. So Oh God. I mean, I think back to my, I worked in the skilled nursing facility setting for six years. And I think back to those years and just think of some of the things that I did. Um, and it's scary, but it's also what I learned then. And, you know, part of it is like, do you beat yourself up over it? No, you just say, that's what I knew best at the time. Um, you know, I wish I knew a lot more about video fluoroscopy at the time, but I, I essentially was a rural SLP. I was working at some, I was a travel SLP for a little while. And I also was supervising some CFs. And so I was covering some buildings that were like two, three hours away from like the main metropolitan or the main metropolitan area. So I get it. And we had no exposure to video fluoroscopy really. So fees was all I knew. So obviously I'm very passionate about fees because I had access to it, but I also didn't have any exposure really to video fluoroscopy. So it's something that like, as I've, as I've gotten more experience and I've worked in different settings, it's like, crap, I really don't know much about this, this stuff at all. I didn't know much about esophageal dysphagia. And I think on that one episode that I did with Julie Huffman, I didn't save the video of it, but I almost wish I did. Cause it would be probably one of the best bloopers ever because my mouth was just dropped the whole episode. I was like, <laughs> I did not know any of this. Like no one ever talked about the esophagus. Mm -hmm. <laughs> nope. I, I could give you so many examples. I think I just, I think back to those years and, and there's so many things that I just, now we know better. And the only way that you know better is by reaching out and talking to people and and keeping up with the research as much as humanly possible. And I, I really think just having connections with other people that are working in the same settings as you, but even across the country is totally fine. We're all dealing with the same things with COVID, payer changes, all of that. And it's just so important to have people to bounce ideas off of that are just non-judgmental. You know, I think one, one thing that I learned about this year, um, really, you know, obviously there's evidence-based practice and the evidence-based practice triad, learn about essentially this fourth leg of the stool, which is 
clinical circumstance. And I think for a lot of rural SLPs, that's their reality, right? There's exactly what you should be doing, what best practice tells us you should be doing, what the evidence tells you you should be doing. But then there's the rural SLP (laughs) and they don't have access to those things. And that's the reality. So you can't, you know, you can't make lemonade out of apples, right? So... (laughs) (laughs) So it's something that I've really learned to embrace is that we do the best that we can with the evidence that we have and the circumstance that we have. And that's why it's so important for our clinical expertise to know the research that's available, but also know how to implement it in the setting that you're in within the constraints that you're in and also within the patient preferences too. Because I think what's interesting about a lot of the, the rural settings that I worked in versus some of the inner inner city settings that I've worked in is patient preferences are drastically different. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what I might do with one patient population is obviously totally different with what I'll do with another. And you don't know until you start digging into their cultural considerations and how they live their lives. And there's a lot more to consider. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize that there is a cultural difference when you're very much. So. Yeah. I am, I'm currently in rural Kansas and uh, okay. I, I've only been here for about a year. So, uh, and it, it is very different and uh, it's a very, very small communities and, you know, to get to the bigger cities with the bigger, um, more options is they have to drive an hour and a half. That's or more. And that's, that's not practical for most of these people. And, and I'll, I'll tell you how many times have I, and we probably have all heard this. How many times have we heard? Well, I've been swallowing that way for 90 years. Yep, yep. <laughs> not going to change it now. Yep. Well, <laughs> um, <laughs> and I, I, I started quoting your, your, you have a little saying that you've said um, so many times uh, if, when you know better, we do better. Uh, and it was like, it was shocking to me. I mean, like how many years had I been practicing before I started realizing I was not aware of everything that goes into swallowing practice. (laughs) And yeah. And that was always my favorite area in school. And, you know, once I got out of school, like that was my favorite area. So it's like swallowing. And then I'm like, I am doing this wrong. And, (laughs) and I had the opposite experience. I had more access to MBS than I did to fees. So that was a a slight difference in our experiences there. Um, But yeah, I I mean, I had no access to fees for uh, many years. And so not having that area of experience. And so you mentioned the, the, um, cultural and the, the, the nursing home experiences. And you also mentioned that you have a son that has some special needs. Do you, would you mind sharing some of that? Yeah, sure. So I have a son, um, he's six years old. He was born with a very extremely rare chromosomal abnormality. Um, there's only nine documented cases of his specific one. So that's really sort of what's led me on this wild goose chase of, evidence-based practice and really honing in on the clinical experience and patient preferences, because yeah, you can have all the evidence in the world, but if it doesn't apply to your patient, that's right in front of you, what are you going to do? Um, so, you know, obviously I, I was passionate about swallowing before I had him, but once I had him, um, you know, sort of a, a cruel joke, I guess on me, um, you know, and he was in the NICU for 15 days. We didn't have access to an SLP. He had no feeding therapy early on. He had an NG tube. Um, I ended up pulling the NG tube myself. It was, you know, a whole, whole wonderful ordeal, but really it just has, has catapulted me to wanting to do the best that I can as an SLP and inspire others to do the best that they can. And along with that comes, of course, knowledge, of course, you know, you always have to be learning. Of course, you always have to be growing, keeping up with the research, but 
there's a really a humbling piece about that too, in, in getting to know the patient a lot better and how their family interacts and what their wishes are. And, you know, I just was talking to a, to a, an SLP today and she just kept saying, you know, this, this family, we have these goals going and, you know, but the, the family just says that they're not important to them. And I'm just getting so frustrated because they won't listen to me. And I was like, well, let's back up. Like yeah. what, but what if, what if you did listen to them? You know, what if you did goals that mattered to them? Because that, you know, everything we know about exercise science and adherence and things like that. And I can tell you, you know, my son at one point had 24 therapy sessions a week. There's only so much we can do, right? There's only so much carryover you can do. Right. Like every therapist is telling you, you know, let's work on this, let's work on that. And if I can take one piece of that and implement it, that's a win for us. Right. But when you throw so many things, so many exercises, so many, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. It's impossible. So it's so important to get, really get to know the family and, and what their capabilities are. You know, if they can do one task, give them one task. If they want to do 27 tasks, give them 27 tasks. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's so important to, to be able to get the outcomes that they want is, is to have these conversations with them and to really, listen to them. So I, I really didn't realize how much everything I had gone through with him had um, influenced my practice and how I think about things drastically different today. I, I would, I, I, not on the same scale, uh, but I have a daughter who also has special needs. Um, and yeah, like, it's like a part-time job taking her to therapy sessions alone. Yeah, yeah it truly and, is. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, we are, I think we're at nine sessions a week. <laughs> so, um, 24 sessions a week. I mean, that's like a full-time job. Mm -hmm. I mean, like by the time yeah. you're driving wherever they are and, I, I, that's, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. a lot. Um, so has it, has, um, you, you mentioned this a little bit, um, how it's adjusted the way you look at what the families want. Has it changed your, um, the way you approach practice in, in any other ways that you can think of? Oh, it's changed so much. Mm -hmm. I think, because I think everything that I do now, everything I think about revolves around what the family wants and what's important to them. And I know exactly, you know, I, I have a, say I have a stroke patient in front of me and I, you know, do a cranial nerve exam where I see all their deficits and I, you know, formulate my hypothesis and I say, okay, we're going to send them for a fees or we're going to get this done. And then we're going to start this treatment. I, you know, you have your idea of, of what you're going to do, but I think what's, what we don't do well is we don't stop and see if that's what the family wants. If, you know, there's been so many patients that I've worked with that I've talked to and, I, and I've explained these things and they've said, oh my gosh, you're the first person that's really sort of stopped and asked what we want you know, no, I don't want to go through that testing because it doesn't matter. I'm still going to eat this anyways. Or I, I had one, you know, you know how you have those patients that stick with you like for life. I talk about this one, one guy in my book that I wrote, but I think he was 94 or something. He had like eight bouts of laryngeal cancer, you know, and he's like, I don't care what you tell me. I'm not going to do it anyways. Like I, I really truly don't care. It, so at that point, it's like, why am I, why am I going to waste healthcare dollars? Why am I going to stress him even more to recommend all these tests? Like we might as well get on the same page. And, and he's like, this is what I, yeah. <laughs> yeah and he is, told me what he wanted to work on. Yeah. He's like, it's important for me to do this. It's important for me to do this. And his wife said, and I would be happy if he could do this. So that's what our treatment plan revolved around. So I think for so long, I used to stress myself out about, oh my, I have to I have to get the right instrumental and I have to make sure that I, you know, do the right exercises. And, and I think we put so much pressure on ourselves, which is good because it means you care and you're trying to do the best that you can, but there's also this other side to the coin that takes off so much pressure, 
it takes, takes a lot of pressure off of you. Yeah. Well, there's always those cases that stick with you for yeah, yeah. forever. <laughs> yeah. Um, so speaking of like the head neck cancer, uh, area. Um, so I've only had two cases in my entire career with head and neck cancer. So I'm, but I'm a generalist in a rural yeah. area where they cannot go anywhere else for treatment. So what are some things that are the best things, like the best things that we need to know, most important things that we need to know for those of us who are generalists and, and are not specialized working in okay. a SNF, for example, or home health in a rural area. Okay. I, I have all the respect in the world for generalists because there's so much that you're expected to know. But I think, again, it takes the pressure off you knowing that you can't know everything. Mm-hmm. And I think how, how I sort of think about it is, you know, think about your kids, think of the pediatrician, right? The pediatrician is the generalist SLP, mm-hmm. right? The pediatrician knows sort of a little bit about everything and they get you to the right person or they get you in contact with the right person. They make the right referrals. They, you know, get you the right books, things like that. So that's what I think of. I think of, I think of a a generalist being really just that super resourceful SLP. So you may not know exactly, you know, you may not know the exact plan that you're going to do, but you're going to be able to find out or make the connections that do. And I think that's, what's so important about rural SLPs is having that network and having those connections that you can call and say, oh, you know, gosh, my friend Sue in California, she does work a lot with this condition. Like, let me call her and see if I can get some ideas. Uh, And I think just honesty is the best policy, right? Mm -hmm. I had a, um, I recently just had a visit with a, my, you know, family, my primary care doctor. And I just, you know, mentioned some things that were going on and she started talking about it. And then she said, you know what? She's like, this really isn't my area of expertise. I can tell you what I think is going on, but like, let's get you to a specialist. And she's like, and I don't know if we can get you into one for about six months, but let me do some digging. Let me find you some articles in the meantime. And I really, I appreciated that open honesty so much because she was like, I'm, you know, I'm here for you. I'm going to be a partner with you. I'll, you know, look through some research for you with you. So I I think that's really all that we can do, right? You know, I I don't think they expect you, they don't expect you to be a specialist in every single thing, but they do want some sort of answers. So I think Mm -hmm. if you say, you know, well, heck, I don't know, I've never worked with you before. That doesn't help anybody, right? (laughs) No, and it doesn't. (laughs) Yeah. And I'll tell you though, at the same time, that openness can be scary at the same time. Like, well, they're not going to listen to you if you have never worked with a patient with that (laughs) particular case before. Uh, yeah. And that, um, so you, you mentioned, um, trying to get them into somebody who, so I had, for example, um, I am not a voice specialist. Um, and I had a patient that had a paralyzed vocal cord. One, one side was paralyzed. I believe it's been a few years. Um, and this one's, this is one of those cases that stuck with me, uh, forever. He was evaluated by a speech therapist before me. So I came in and he was already on caseload. So he had already been through all the ENT stuff. I was really uncomfortable, like knowing like I, this is not my area of expertise. Should I have referred him to somebody else where he would have been driving two hours to get to? Or, yeah. And like, that's, and that's what I say. That's yeah. just a discussion to have with the patient. Yeah. You know, and these are your options. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, these, these are your options. Yeah. So it was like, is it, is it unethical for me to treat him? you know, and, and that was, that was the, that was the question I asked myself a lot. And I, I did, I beefed up a lot of CEUs <laughs> around that time, uh, just to, as a big refresher. <laughs> yeah. And, um, uh, and 
I think I, I, I think he was happy with what I did and when, you know, and the progress that we made in the time that, you know, and unfortunately the situation, he was not going to have, you know, great voice <laughs> ever, yeah. but, um, but he was happy with the progress that he had made and he ended up going home. So he was able to go home and which was, which was great. But um, yeah, it was, it was, I always questioned myself, like, should I have not even treated him? I don't know. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I, I trust that you made the right decision. Like, you know, I trust people's intuition, right? I yeah, think people yeah. know, okay, Hey, I can, I can learn about this. I can consult with some mentors. I can work with some people. I can help this patient and acknowledge my limitations. Right. 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 But I think right. people also realize, or there's the flip side of, Oh, this person's on a vent or on a trach. I have no, you know, trach vent experience. Maybe I shouldn't go capping them or, you know, doing passing yeah. your trials. If I know nothing about that, I think people know their their limitations. And yeah. I just, yeah. my big thing that I've learned with my son too, is to just not, is to present all the options without judgment. Right. Like you said, and, and here's, you know, you said he wouldn't want to drive two hours. Do you know that? Or did you ask him? Right. I think we, I think we had talked about it. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Perfect. Yeah. This was a few years ago. Yeah. I'm pretty sure we did talk about it and yeah, yeah. it was, it was not reasonable for his his wife to take him. I think there's just so many things that like drive me nuts about people sort of making up decisions for me, Mm -hmm. but assuming that this is what we'll want to do. And that's really something that I've learned so much in the last few years is to just lay all the options on the table. You know, this is option a might work for you. Might not. This is option B might work for you. Might not. This is option C. This seems to be the best for me, you know, give you, give your professional opinion, but lay all the options out there for them to choose. And I guarantee you'll be really surprised sometimes Mm -hmm. with some of the answers, because Mm -hmm. I think a a lot of it is financial too. We assume, Oh, well, they can't afford to go to this other place or they can't afford this piece of equipment, but there's also so many things in place that might be able to help them. You know, they might know of, of grant funding, or they might know of a nonprofit that's already reached out to them and say, what can we help you with? Or there's a family member that said, let us know if there's something going on. So I think I've, I've been surprised more often than not when I've had these conversations with people. Yeah. So So there's, here's a good time for you to plug your (laughs) mid collective. (laughs) Um, so, uh, I, I definitely, have, you know, had those cases where, you know, like this gentleman and, um, and, you know, your, your group would have been a great place to have popped in. I probably, I probably thought about it. If I remember correctly, it's been a few years, but, um, there was some intimidation of, and I don't think you intend for that to happen. Um, (laughs) I know you don't want there to be intimidation. You want there to be, you know, want us to come in and ask questions. I'm intimidated by just even posting something and it coming out Oh, well, why didn't you ask this? Why didn't you ask? <laughs> so yeah. what, you, what are your, what are your comments for those of us who are, are generalists and, and feeling a little intimidated about uh, posting in, into one of your, into your group? I, it's, it's easier said than done, but please don't be. And, and, I, and I say yeah. that only because that was the, literally the reason that I made mm-hmm. the MedSLP collective. And it's the reason I think at this point we have 36 paid mentors that work on the site they're paid to answer your questions and to help you and in okay. the most non-judgmental way possible. Mm-hmm. And that's so important to me because I think so many of, so many of us have had cases that oh my, I don't even know where to start with this person, mm-hmm. you know? So I, I was, you know, I was on there earlier this morning, helping a girl out. I could tell she w- was just lost with this situation. And I just said, I'm here to help. I'm happy to help. Let me ask you a few more probing questions and I'm here to help. We'll, we'll get you a solution. So I, I don't know what else to say other than don't be, don't be. <laughs> 
<laughs> because that's literally what yeah. they're paid to, to and, be and there to do. So I'm just trying to verbalize it for others because yeah, like, yeah. I know that's been my issue. And I'm, I'm, I, I have a tendency to being very, well, it's, it's my area. I should know. <laughs> I know. And we've and, all been there. And I think yeah. that's something that I want to impress upon people is that every single person has been in those shoes. And I think include, think of that, that fourth leg of evidence-based practice that I talked about that, that clinical circumstance and stating that, you know, I am a rural SLP. I am three hours away from, you know, any place that has a gas station. These are, (laughs) this is our reality. You know, this is what I'm working with. What can I do? What can I do with what I have? And and there's so many people that will tell you, give you ideas of things that you actually can do. And, and, And it might be even referring them to a telemedicine therapist, you know, that's able to help them. But I guarantee you there's a network of people that is way better together than just your own brain can think of. Cause I think sometimes you're like, Oh, you just fight this imposter syndrome. I know I do all the time. Like I have no business (laughs) in dealing with this, but I think that, and that's what, what good mentors do is they help you to decipher what you actually are able to do, but they're also not afraid to say, Hey, you know, maybe we should find a teletherapy um, you know, therapists that can, that can help this patient out. So, and I feel like the teletherapy options are a lot more readily available than the, yes. yes. Thank you. Kobe. Yes. <laughs> In some ways there's good things out of it. Right, 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 right. <laughs> when I think of the rural SLP, I think of a generalist and I, and I think that's such an admirable position to be in because you're expected. There's so much of you to be expected, but I think or there's so much expected of you, mm-hmm. I should say. Um, and, and I think really, if I could emphasize learning anything, it would be, you know, improve counseling skills, improve how to have conversations, tough conversations with patients. Um, you know, like I said, it's, it's, you have to just discuss options more. I think if you can't just get to work because you have the equipment right there, you actually have to, you know, weigh pros and cons and, and make decisions about driving distances and cost effectiveness of things. And, and so I think if I could say anything, it would just be to work on your conversational skills, your counseling skills as much as possible. That is such a great tip, tidbit. I, I love that. That's great. Thank you. Well, uh, thank you so much, Teresa. You're so welcome. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. I feel so honored. 